God, we come to you this morning. We thank you that you are God. You are never changing. You have been. You always will be. So God, thank you for that reminder through worship. Thank you for the grace that removes the chains of sin that entangle us. And God, may we cling to that promise, to that hope that you show us in your word. God, thank you for the opportunity to, to worship you this morning, to examine your word. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to say thanks to the choir for letting me join in this morning. Um, I was in rehearsal with them a couple weeks ago and uh, decided to stay and sing for a bit. And um, they were supposed to sing that song last week. I was out of town uh, visiting at another church last week, uh, observing kind of some prayer ministry things they have going on there. And uh, so they rearranged so I could sing with them that week. It was fun. Um, Thank you guys for for letting me uh, mess up the tenor part, all right, all morning this morning. We are two weeks away uh, from the most important moment in history that we get to celebrate, and that is Easter. Um, And so as we're nearing Easter, um, it is the Sunday where we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. But it is not simply a day on the calendar. Last night we were um, in Salisbury with some of my extended family and we were discussing how you determine when Easter is. Next year, uh, Easter is April 21st. All right, so it's all the way at the end of April next year. It's based on a moon and when all these kind of things happen. Um, But it is way more important than a specific date. It is the reason we have eternal life. It's the reason we have any hope. Uh, And so uh, also with that, it is one of those Sundays where folks that are unchurched, folks that have been away from church for a while, it is a Sunday that they typically will give you an opportunity to invite them. And they will, statistically, they will come. And so I just want to really challenge you to think about, to pray about um, who you can invite to, to be with us on Easter Sunday. Uh, we are going to be walking through a message entitled, It Is Finished, where we look at that phrase and that moment from Jesus, it is finished. What does that mean for us for all eternity? Uh, we have four services that weekend. We're adding uh, an additional one, additional one on Saturday evening um, at 6 p.m. Uh, the rest of Sunday is the same as far as where services are. You'll be back in this room um, at 10 o'clock. We have 8 45 in the multi-purpose building, 11, 15, and we'll have preschool ministry going on during those times. So please take time um, to invest and invite and to pray over who God may have you to be a part of that Easter weekend. Uh, I just want to pray again as we continue. God, guide us um, as we examine your word. God, guide us as we enter into a reminder, a set of reminders from your word this morning. God, I know many of us are not new to church, but God, I pray for those in this room this morning who are, who are our guests, and we hope that they just continue to remain here and be a part of this fellowship, this gathering of believers. God, and just thank you for the opportunity we have uh, to examine your word. May we do so with uh, determination. May we do so with expectation of how you're going to move and work in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So a week and a half ago on a Saturday, uh, we took a family trip to Costco. How many of you have either a Costco or a Sam's membership? One or the other, one or the other. All right, there you go. Uh, if you have young children, it's a perfect place um, to go on a Saturday because you can feed them lunch and not pay for it. 
okay? Uh, all the samples, like we just go during sample time, all right? It's buffet around Costco. And uh, we, we happened to go a little bit later, so we didn't get a lot of, a lot of uh, great cheap food, so we, de- we decided to get some cheap food on the way out. Um, but as we were heading to Costco, we were driving up 85. We were over near Archdale, and I looked down. I'm in the right-hand lane, and I'm doing 75, 78 miles an hour. I'm getting barreled down by somebody behind me. I'm in the right-hand lane. And I said, Emily, do you see this? I said to the kids, I said, do you see what's going on? I said, I'm doing 78. I'm in the right-hand lane. And we had this whole discussion about how fast to drive and about uh, authority and about police and when they'll pull you over. When will they not pull you over? And all these discussions, probably not um, the best discussion to have with three teenage drivers in the car. Um, but, but we had that discussion. And, and as we were driving, uh, as I thought more about this, and it just continued to roll around my mind, we actually had the same conversation going south on 85 yesterday um, with my whole family going to meet some of my extended family for, for dinner last night. We were driving down and I said, do you realize what happens in that moment? In that moment, I'm in the right-hand lane and we can, uh, we can d- debate or have a discussion on when they'll give you a ticket versus when they won't give you a ticket based on how fast you're going. We can have all those discussions. But I said to my sons and to my daughter last night, I said, do you realize in that moment, if we're not careful, that the new authority for how fast we drive is now the guy in the left-hand lane? We've taken authority in that moment away from the DMV, away from our state troopers, away from our police officers. In in our mind, we've said, you know what? As long as, here it is, as long as the guy in the left-hand lane is going faster than me, then I'm okay in the right-hand lane going 78 and 70. Now, if any of you are not laughing, don't tell me you've never sped before, Okay. I'm not going to stand here before you and tell you I won't go 78 into 70 again, or I'm just, I'm just sharing with you. But in that moment, there's a careful balance there that we need to realize in that moment, we are shifting away from those who have spent years examining, saying, hey, what's the safe speed on this road? Based on how many lanes it is, based on where it is, based on what exits are coming up based on what traffic's entering the interstate or entering the side highway. They spent years examining and planning for. They've trained for years on, on how to prevent you from being in accidents and help you if you are. But in that moment, here's what I'm saying, not out loud until last night. The guy in the left-hand lane is now the authority because as long as he doesn't get caught or as long as he's going faster than me, I'll just cruise right around on the right-hand, right-hand lane. And that is a dangerous slope that we begin to put ourselves on when the standard does not really have the authority to be the authority. That person in the left-hand lane has no business being my authority because listen, here's their view. Their view is getting to their destination first. They're not thinking about being in the right-hand lane. They're not thinking about what I am or am not doing. They're not thinking about who's in my car. They haven't planned and prompted and examined what's the best speed for that road. They've determined their best speed is the speed that they're pressing the car to go, and they're going. So this morning, I want us to examine through one question this morning, several passages of Scripture, and the question is this. Who or what is the authority providing direction for my life? Who or what is the authority providing direction 
for my life. And I want to say this, if you're new to church or if you've been out of church for a while or you're skeptical of church, I just want to pose to you. If you don't believe in scripture and you're distant from that and you're struggling with that, I just want to challenge you. You have an authority in your life that is setting the direction for your decisions in life. Every single one of us have one. I want to challenge you to examine, is that authority worthy of my life? Is that example, that authority, are they worthy? Is that person, is that substance that may be providing authority in my life, is it worthy to be the authority to provide decisions and directions for my life? Throughout the Old Testament, God was constantly calling his people to come back to him. Different ways and different prophets would communicate this in different ways to God's chosen people, the children of God, the Israelites. And multiple, multiple times, God would call a prophet out of common folks, sometimes out of priesthood, sometimes out of religious backgrounds, and he would call them and he would give them a specific message, a specific vision to take back to the people and to say, this is what God is saying about you in this present moment. Being a prophet was not a popular position. It was not a position that you raised your hand and said, yeah, I'll take the difficult message. I'll go into the heart of the Israelite people who have now began to shift and change their culture. They brought in the cultures of the world. They brought in the decisions and now they're functioning apart from God. I'll go in and tell them they're wrong. It's not a decision you want to make. That's not a message that you want to preach. In fact, our prophet for today even denounces being a prophet. Uh, it's a passage that happens after what we're going to look at today. You don't have to look it up. It's in Amos chapter 7, verse 14 and 15. Our prophet today is a guy named Amos. And here's what he says about himself. Then Amos answered and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet nor a prophet's son. I was a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore figs. He goes, I'm not a prophet. I'm a herdsman. I take care of whatever the herd is, most likely sheep of the day. That's what I do. And I care for sycamore trees. I provide care for them and nourishment for them. But the Lord took me from following the flock and the Lord said to me, go prophesy to my people. And Amos, like the other prophets that had gone before him, has a distinct message to go directly to God and say, I've got something to tell you. It's not gonna be fun. It's not gonna be easy. You're not gonna like it. But God has called him out of this role. Amos is a burden bearer. He's a herdsman, a cultivator of sycamore tree. He's an average guy. He's not a part of the religious community as he says there in his introduction of who he is. But he finds himself called by God to take a distinct message to God's people. And here is one vision. He communicates through visions that God gives him to the people. And one I want to look at for a few moments before we turn to Romans chapter 12 is this. Amos chapter 7, verse 7 through 9. Here's a prophecy that he shares with the people. He says, this is what the Lord showed me. Behold, the Lord was standing beside a wall built with a plumb line. With a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a plumb line. Then the Lord said, behold, I am setting a plumb line in the midst of my people, Israel. I will never again pass by them. He goes on to say, the high places of Isaac shall be made desolate and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste. And I will rise against the house of Jeroboam and the sword. 
So here he comes out and he says, listen, guys, I've got a message for you through this vision. And God is going to set a plumb line before you. Now, uh, I forgot my plumb line this morning, so I had to make one. They're not real hard to make. Here's what it is. You take a piece of string, take anything with a weight at the bottom. Mine happens to be a a lanyard for a name tag, all right? We're missing one now, just so you know. For some of the arts folks, we're down one, okay? Uh, and, and then I just attach some washers down at the weight. Here's how this works. You take, those of you who are not construction-minded like myself, this may be foreign to you, all right? You take something with a weight, with a line at the bottom, and you hold it, and it is going to be perfectly straight. If I release it, guess what? It's eventually going to come back to that position every single time. And Amos says to God's children, he says, listen, I'm not calling you to follow some other standards. Amos says to God's children, he said, God is going to set a plumb line and he's going to examine you as a people based on his standard, not on your standard, not on what you think is right, not on what you decide is the right authority. He is going to say, I'm the authority and I'm setting a plumb line to examine you by now. Two things I want you to see, two functions of this. Plumb lines can be used in this, in, in our instances, most of the time you can hold a plumb line up to see if something is straight, right? Some of you live in older homes. You could hold this up against your wall and you could determine that your house is not straight, right? You've got old walls, you've got old door frames, you can hold them up against them. I've got one door in my house that changes with the weather, right? And sometimes it's plumb and sometimes it is plumb, not plumb, right? Uh, And it does not measure up. But here is the different use that I want you to see this morning. He's not measuring how to build in this passage. God is measuring Israel on how he's going to destroy them. How he's going to discipline them. He's not holding up to them to say, yeah, let's keep on building. He's holding this up to them to say, let me just share this vision with you. I am going to hold this vision up to you and I am going to bring discipline if you're not in my standards. She totally agrees with everything we've just said this morning. God was saying through Amos to his people, you are so off track, you don't even know you're off track. And he says, verse nine, he says, the high places, listen to where he's gonna go for this discipline. The high places of Isaac shall be made desolate and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste and I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. Notice what God is not doing here. He's not holding up the plumb line to measure culture. He's holding the plumb line up to measure who? The people of God. And where's he gonna start? In the sanctuaries with the priests. And he says, listen, if you don't align with my standards, I'm taking you down. I'm gonna leave it as a desolate place. And Amos goes on to tell, he is using this. He is gonna say, listen, I'm gonna measure the church and I'm gonna start by measuring and plumb lining your places of worship and your leader. He says, I'm gonna examine Jeroboam. If I got to, I'll take him out. If he's not following my standards, 
Because God had not only seen the people live ungodly practices, now it was becoming a part of their religious institutions. It wasn't just out in culture now. Culture was now dictating the body of believers that the early uh, was dictating the children of God how they would worship. And God says, no more. I'm coming into the sanctuary and I'm holding up my standards. And if I've got to, I'll destroy you. I'll take out leadership. I'll do what is necessary. God is giving Amos a powerful message to say, I am the outline. I am the standard. I am the plumb line. If last Saturday I was driving up 85 and I was doing 78 in a 70 and I was pulled over in that area, it would probably have been Archdale police or a state trooper would have pulled me over and they would have come to the car window. Um, you, those of you in this room, police officers, you do an incredible job. They would come to my window. They'd have done that little safe little tap, you know, like right there, kind of coming from behind. And they would say, do you realize you were speeding? And I'd go, yeah, but you know what, officer, the guy in the left-hand lane, he was going a lot faster. You know what that's called? A ticket. Because he is not functioning based on someone who does not have my best interests at heart. He is functioning with authority. She is functioning with authority to say, you know what? I don't care what was in the left-hand lane. What I care was on that white square with the black numbers. That's the authority. And while you may be able to justify what's in the left-hand lane and do what you want in the right, when it comes down to it, if it's a 78 and a 70, I'm speeding and I get a ticket. I can no longer say that standard is defining authority. Church, we are not defined by the authority of culture. It is ever-changing. It is ever-moving And we cannot allow ourselves to get to the point of saying, well, culture says this, therefore we do this. And God says, no, I I, I got a story for you. It's called a plumb line. Let me line you up. And he doesn't say this to the lost and dying world. He says this to the leaders of the sanctuaries and of the temples and the priests. And today I would translate that to the church. He says, I'm measuring you up first. You want to be effective in reaching people and shaping them with the gospel of Jesus Christ in our community? Then you need to examine, we need to examine who or what is the authority that gives us direction in life because every single one of us has one. Every single one of us is following an authority in our lives. And so I want to see by looking at a passage of scripture, not out of the Old Testament, but out of the New Testament in the book of Romans. It's probably a pretty familiar passage with most of you. Paul is speaking to this church. He's given them instructions on how they are to impact, how they are to live, to be true believers in the land that they are, what standards they are to live by, how they are to live. Romans chapter 12, verse one and two says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. I wanna stop there for a second. He says, I appeal to you by the mercies of God. So what's driving the rest of this passage of Romans 12, 1 and 2, something that jumped off the page at me when I was rereading through this this morning. What's driving the rest of what we know, he goes on to talk about living as a sacrifice of worship, holy and pleasing to the Lord, living our lives, testing everything so we can discern what is good, what is perfect in God's plan. We, we like that part. 
We love that part. We want that part. But notice, we can't do that part without the mercy of God. We cannot allow, we cannot dictate, we cannot come up with our own standards outside of the mercies of God. Now, mercy, if you were to define it, I know, Blake, I'm just totally going against all my notes. He's just following me right along. Mercy, Scripture says, I mean, mercy by definition is this. Mercy is compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish or harm. God has the authority to punish us in our sin. But he shows compassion and forgiveness through the grace of Jesus Christ. By the mercies of God. He's appealing to them. He's saying, what I'm about to tell you only can take place because of what God has done. My favorite definition I shared every time I use the word mercy because I think it makes the most sense and it clicks with most of us. Uh, You understand the compassion and forgiveness by someone who has the authority to punish, but I think you can understand this best. This came from a child many years ago. She looked at me and I said, what's mercy? Not one of my kids, a friend of mine. I said, hey, what's mercy? She said, mercy is getting chocolate cake when you deserve a spanking. You got it now, don't you? You got it now in your brain. You've got what mercy is. It's getting what you do not deserve from someone who has the authority to do exactly what you deserve. And Paul says, listen, I appeal to you, therefore, to the holy, by the holy God, by his mercy, his compassion that he's poured out upon you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Notice what he says there. He's not saying you have to do this. You get to do this. This is not a requirement. This is a relationship that comes out of the mercies that God has displayed upon you and for you. But the standard, sadly, for most believers, I'm not talking to the lost world, I'm talking to believers, the standard for most believers has now been what does someone else think or what do I think is the standard or what the world defines as the standard, not by the God that we serve. And we must use this passage of Scripture, the other warnings from the Old Testament, as a guideline. So how do we determine, how do we, follow an authority for direction in our life. A few things I want to point out from Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Choose to walk closely with God as an act of worship, not out of a requirement. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. This is a great time that we have on Sundays. Love preaching three times. I love being in this room. Love uh, engaging and singing corporately, studying God's word. And we do worship in this room. But do you realize that worship is really defined by what you do outside this room? It's on the Sunday at 12.15 or whatever side I stop preaching, all right, 11.15, whatever that is. And it's from that moment forward until we reconvene next week, we gather back together. That is your opportunity for worship. That is your spiritual worship. But throughout scripture, worship is defined as our lives and our actions. And if I live my life 
thinking that God is a killjoy and does not want me to enjoy the pleasures that he has created in this life, I'm never gonna get it right. I want you to hear me this morning. God has designed and created this world to be lived in, to be enjoyed, and by the greatest creation, us as mankind, to find pleasure and joy as we abide in him. Understand that, not outside of him, but as we abide in him. And if we do, we will find joy through mercy. If we do, we will find enjoyment. Yes, we will have pain. Yes, we will have struggles. But I get so tired when I used to hear students in student ministry say, man, I just don't want to follow God. It's just so boring and it's just so hard and it's just so blah. I'm like, which God are you following? Are you following a God out of a requirement or out of a relationship? Because the God I follow out of an intimate relationship, he desires pleasure and joy for me in this life, preparing me for eternity through his mercy. Mercy is a noun. It is a gift. We are sinners. God is holy. That puts us at odds with God, but through the death of Jesus, God showed us mercy. He has the right to punish, but he offers compassion. Charles Spurgeon says this. He says, God's mercy is so great that you may sooner drain the sea of its water or deprive the sun of its life, or make space too narrow than diminish the great mercy of God. And the more we seek to love the Lord, to love his teachings, to trust in his mercy, the more his grace will fill up our lives to pour over into our relationships, to pour over into our actions, to pour over our thoughts because he is rich in mercy. I I was preparing this week for uh, teaching a small group, and uh, I got to Ephesians chapter two. And, and I don't, I'm not gonna spend a lot of time there, but you, in, in Ephesians chapter two, it says, but God who is rich in mercy. Do you realize that God is the bank and the banker of mercy? He's the bank and the banker. He has all the mercy there is to give, and he is the banker, and he disperses it, scripture says, lavishly upon us. And he says, I want to have a relationship. I want to set a standard in your life. I want you to have a spiritual act of worship and I want you to follow my standards and I'm not doing it so you can stand there and go, oh man, I got to follow that. No, I get, you mean, if I follow this, this is the desires of your heart, Lord? This is a spiritual act of worship. This is a joyful thing that I get to do. If we will allow ourselves into an intimate relationship to God, it will dictate our decisions and our direction. Allow God, our intimate relationship to God to dictate your decisions and your direction. Now, I spent a lot of time trying, looking up in the thesaurus. I tried a lot of words other than the word intimate there. Close, nearby, but all those were too distant for me. I love the word intimate here. Allow your intimate relationship, your close-knit relationship to God. And in order for it to be close-knit, it has to be ongoing. In order for it to be close-knit, it has to be growing. Your intimate relationship to God dictate your decisions and your direction. Listen, I don't know what kind of cable package you got or not, or what kind of radio you have in your car or not. 
But on the way home and when you get home, there are 14 million places where you can search for advice and for wisdom, is there not? There are millions of standards that can be placed upon your life by a person or by a thing or by a possession that will set the course of direction for your life. But I wanna challenge you through Romans 12, verse two, it says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. The direction in Romans for the church, the warning in Amos for God's chosen people Paul doesn't expect an ungodly culture to give itself over to the teachings of God, God's word, because the culture wants to dictate the direction. Our culture doesn't want to turn itself over to the authority of scripture, but we must realize that God is giving us and pouring into us in the middle of false teachings. He is aligning us and he's saying, listen, transform your heart, transform your mind. I've given you a standard. Last night, I won't share this in the next service because I don't want to embarrass my kid. Last night, it was, I don't know, midnight. I got this cold stuff going on and uh, probably not going to make it to the third service, so we'll see what happens. I'm going to teach with sign language in the third service, but I was trying to take some more medicine to get this thing under control. And I thought all my kids went to bed. It was 12, 1230, maybe even later than that. I walked out. I saw my son. He's turning 18 on Monday and I thought, you know, he's up on his phone, he's up texting his girlfriend, um, something like that. I said, buddy, what you doing? He goes, man, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just in his word right now. And I thought, I'm just gonna go back to bed. <laughs> I was so moved by a young man saying, man, I, Saturday night, it's midnight. I just wanna take in his word. That's an intimate relationship that is growing, that is changing, and it is setting a standard for himself. It is setting a standard for others to say, listen, I I choose as a young man, I choose as maybe not a young man to say, you know what? I've tried and I've looked and I've followed a lot of other standards. I've allowed a lot of other things to plumb line me up. And I can tell you now, I keep coming back to God's word because I know he knows and desires what is best for me. I know he desires to use me in a way that I could never, ever imagine. So walking in wisdom of God's direction enables us. Here's what it does. As we walk in that intimate relationship, it enables us to to evaluate our decisions and direction. I love this passage of scripture and I come back to this passage of scripture with people often when they come to my office and they say, pastor, we just wanna know what God's will is. All right, let's do it. Verse two, second part says, that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Pastor, how do I determine what God's will is for my life? Could you, almost as if I'm a horoscope, right? Pastor, could you in three sentences tell me because of my birthday, what's gonna happen to me when this job moves? What's gonna happen to me 25 years from now? Could, Could you interpret this for me? But when I stop and say, well, let me ask you a couple questions. Are you spending time in an intimate relationship with the Holy God? Well, not exactly. 
but you want to know his will, but you don't want to spend time with him. Are you praying to God in an intimate way, in a, in a desperate way? Are you praying, God, would you show me? Well, not, not exactly, but pastor, if you could just tell me his will, I'd really appreciate it. Are you surrounding yourself with people who are going to help give you wisdom and help you make wise decisions? Well, some of them. Well, you're going to have a really hard time finding God's will for a God that you don't want to spend time with, a God that you don't want to listen to, and a God that you don't want to follow his direction. Why do you want to know his will? Because scripture says, hey, you want to know? You want to know what is good and is acceptable and perfect? It is by testing, and it is by testing it comes out of being transformed by the renewal of our mind that comes out of the mercies of God being poured out upon us. This passage says, you want to know what God's will is for your life? Follow his standard. Realign, transform, renew of your heart and your mind and of your spirit. Then through his mercy, through his giving you what you do not deserve, he desires, if you will live this way, he desires to align you, to place you. Well, pastor, does that mean that everything along that line is going to be easy? Absolutely not. Does it mean that I'm never going to be sick and that I'm never going to go through struggles? No, it doesn't mean that. We live in a broken, sinful world. But does it mean at the end of the day, I come back and with clarity and through an intimate relationship, I can say, God, it's not a requirement, it's a relationship. And I desire to be aligned with you. This plumb line, this little tool that Amos used in his speaking to the children of God. God was going to hold that up. He was going to examine their character, their worship. He was going to tear down buildings. He was going to get rid of leadership. And today is the same. God has given us guidelines, as I like to say, guardrails by which to live our lives. We are not called to be robots. We're not called to live out every single moment of our day living by a set of rules so we don't break them or we're going to be punished. We live in a relationship full of God's mercy. And God is calling the church, the believers. This message, if you're new to church, man, you get a kind of a get out of jail free card this morning, right? This is for the church. He's calling the church to be the light in society. He's calling the church to be different because I know for a fact and I believe that one of the reasons that churches all across the country and all across the world are dying is because God has examined some of their leaders and some of their beliefs and some of their teachings and he's gone, no, get out. No longer will I bless you. No longer will I care for you. No longer will I provide for you. That teaching is not according to my standards and I will no longer sit by and watch. May we never be a people. May we never be a church that looks upon the standards of God's word and says, well, pastor, culture, your standard." your plumb line, through intimacy, through growing, through being transformed. You've called us to live by your authority. Who or what is the authority providing direction in your life? 
Who or what is the authority providing direction in your life? Again, if you've come here this morning and you're new, man, I want to challenge you this morning. I want to challenge you to ask yourself that question. Who's the authority? What's the authority in my life? And is that person, is that thing, is that entity worthy of being an authority in my life, of guiding my direction? And if not, I want to challenge you to examine a God who is. The God who's offered his only son as a payment for your sins. The God who is worthy to be your authority, to guide you, to guard you, to protect you, and to give you freedom and joy. Let's pray this morning.